Good morning. It is good to gather in God's house. It is good to be with God's people. Just a couple of announcements, actually a few announcements as we begin. Um, Women of the Church will meet Tuesday night at 7 o'clock in the Fellowship Hall. Um, So please put that on your calendars. Also, this Friday and Saturday is our shift at the Ronsevert Food Pantry. So if you're able to help out either Friday night packing or Saturday morning helping to hand out um, to the uh, people of the food pantry, please let either myself or Linda Moore know so we can communicate that um, by Tuesday or Wednesday. Also, other volunteer opportunity, uh, the fair is just a little over than two months away. And unless something drastic changes between now and then, we are having, they are having the fair. So we'll need help parking cars during that time. So the sign-up sheet for that is out in the narthex. So please take a look at that. If you have questions about volunteering or helping out with uh, parking, please talk to myself or to Michelle or really to anybody who's been here for a little while. And um, we'll let you know when and and how to sign up. So um, please be aware of that. Are there any other announcements? Like I'm forgetting one. Oh, summer Bible study. Um, some several of you have asked me about that. We will be starting a Wednesday night Bible study uh, on the 23rd of this month. I believe that's a Wednesday, but it's the Wednesday closest to the 23rd. If it's not, um, we'll be at six o'clock in the Fellowship Hall, and um, there will be a. Uh, there's a book you can buy if you like. If not, um, we can get through it without it. So. But I'll, I'll have more information as we move forward with that. But that's the 23rd. Do you have the verses? No, no, I don't. No, that's okay. Sorry. That's all right. Um, so any other announcements? All right, if not, our call to worship, our order of service is found in the bulletin. And our call to worship today comes from the book of Psalms, Psalm 5, verses 1 through 8. And we'll read responsibly. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my sighing. Listen to my cry for help, my King and my God. For to you I pray. In the morning, O Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, I lay my request before you and wait in expectation. You are not a God who takes pleasure in evil. With you, the wicked cannot dwell. The arrogant cannot stand in your presence. You hate all who do wrong. You destroy those who tell lies bloodthirsty and deceitful men, the Lord abhors. But I, by your great mercy, will come into your house. In reverence will I bow down toward your holy temple. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness, because of my enemies. Make straight your way before me. Let us pray. Our great God, through your great mercy, we have entered this place to reverently bow before you. Lead us into righteous ways before your enemies and make our paths smooth. O God who hears, remind us as we gather in this place that you do hear our words. You do consider the sighings and groanings of our hearts. You truly do hear our pleas for help and you are always present with us. Hear us as we pray. Answer us as we pray, especially as you have taught us. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, in earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. As we have read from the scripture, we now have the opportunity to sing from the scripture and to sing of those prayers that God answers. So please take Bible songs, that green book in the pew before you, and turn to number nine in Bible songs, the the song Morning Prayer, which is based on our reading from Psalm 5. So let us stand and lift our voices in singing of God's goodness, of God's hearing our prayers by singing Bible song number nine, Morning Prayer. Please be seated. As we said the Lord's Prayer earlier, we are reminded that uh, part of our prayer life should be a time of confession and a time of repentance, a time of seeking forgiveness and strength to turn from our sins and to God's ways of wisdom. So let's take a few moments to silently confess to God our sins.
as Paul addressed the church in Rome, the Christians, the believers. He gave them this assurance. He started out describing them as, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and then reminded him that all are justified by God's grace as a gift through the redemption that is ours in Christ Jesus. Our scripture reading today comes from the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 12, uh, the first 12 verses of that particular passage. Hear these words. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And you have forgotten that word of encouragement that addresses you as sons. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? If you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of our spirits and live? Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. No, dis no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. The grass withers, the flowers fail, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Part of our worship is the giving of tithes and offerings. God calls us to return a portion to him out of gratitude and out of worship. And so please consider now we have a basket here. We also have a basket at the back of the church, or you may mail in your tithes and offerings. But consider now how God would have you worship him through the giving of tithes and offerings.
Our God and Father, we do thank you for all that you provide for us, and we thank you for an opportunity to worship you, to come before you in this place, to give you these tithes and offerings as our honor, as our worship. We do ask that you be magnified and glorified through them, and we do ask that your name be proclaimed through what is given. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please take your hymn book as you're standing there and turn to hymn number 297, Work for the Night is Coming. We are called, while we have time on this earth, to work for God in our prayers, in our service, in our evangelism. So let us remain standing and sing hymn number 297, Work for the Night is Coming. Please be seated. We are a people who are gathered by truth, truth that has gathered people for generations and will continue to gather people until such time as Jesus returns. And it is good for us to proclaim that truth, to remember those whom we are linked to in the past and those who we are linked to in the future as the full church of God. And so Christian church, what do you believe? I believe in God, the father almighty maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, 
the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. As we go to the Lord in prayer today, please uh, cons- remember these prayer requests. Be with the Ward family as uh, they are uh, uh, suffering grief, as well as the McCoy family. Some of you know Mike McCoy from uh, um, Gwen's Meals. Thank you. And uh, he passed away suddenly this week, so please be in prayer for Missy and uh, their family. Also continue to pray for Cohen Bramley as he is struggling, uh, still having other issues going on uh, over and above um, his main diagnosis. So please uh, continue to pray for Cohen and his family. Continue to lift up um, Natalie and um, in her struggle with cancer and look after that. We praise God that Janie is here with us today and is feeling better, so we praise God for that. And also Hudson Sereno, um, he's got the same bug his grandmother had last week, so please be in prayer for Hudson. Are there any other prayer requests or updates? All right, well, let's go to the Lord in prayer. O great and glorious God, who is enthroned in majesty above the heavens and the earth, above the cosmos, we have so many displays of your glory. The heavens above us, the sky, the sky, the sun, the stars, the moon, all of them declare the greatness and the majesty of your glory. We see the brightness and the radiance of the sun, and we should worship you for your radiance is so much brighter. Even John saw your radiance in the new cosmos, and it made the sun seem as though it was dark. You have shown your glory and your law. Your power, your rules, your salvation are revealed to us in the scriptures. You give wisdom to the simple and righteousness to the unrighteous through your word. Your word brings joy to the mourning and humility to the proud. You show us how to fear you and live according to your will, which brings us to a place where our words and our thoughts are pleasing to you. We have so many examples of your glory in your world and in your word. Your glory and expectations are so clear in nature that we are without excuse before you. That glory and those expectations are even clearer in your word. Forgive us for ignoring your glory in the world and in your word. Forgive us for being bored by both the magnificence of the cosmos and the glory of the revelation that you give us in the scriptures. Forgive us for closing our eyes to the glory that you have revealed and for seeking our own glory rather than yours. We do thank you as well for the glimpses of your glory that we see in our lives and in our world. I thank you for the glory of sunsets, the changing colors that radiate through the sky, merging from gold to red to blue to violet to starry black, are meager reflections of the glory that radiates from your throne. Thank you for the glory of spring that shouts your faithfulness in the explosion of life from death. Thank you for the picture of glory in birth that points to our Redeemer who took on flesh and dwelt among us. And thank you for showing your glory to us in answering prayer. Today we lift before you these concerns and we ask that you shine your glory into the distress and the sickness of their lives. We think of the Ward family and the McCoy family and and all the extended family of both of those and ask that you would fill them 
with the glory of your comfort, the majesty of your strength in the midst of loss and remind them that you will wipe away tears, that you have defeated death and we will one day as your people see the ultimate defeat of death when it is thrown into the fiery lake. We pray for Cohen and his family. And Lord, we know that you are shining your glory through them at this moment. Lord, he he has such a, a faith and a rest in you. Over these eight or nine years of being sick, he finds joy in you. We could learn from that. And yet they suffer and they are ill and their family is concerned for him. And so we ask that you would shine your light of glory into Cohen and to his parents and into his brothers and sisters. Remind them of the strength and the comfort. Remind them that you have defeated sickness and lift them up. We pray for Natalie and ask that you continue to strengthen her and continue to strengthen her family as they seek to walk along beside you and to um, follow you. We pray for little Hudson and ask that you would give him a quick recovery from this bug that he has and, and protect the rest of his family from that as well. Lord, we thank you that our sister Janie is here with us today and is strengthened and feeling better and able to be up and out and to join together with your people as we worship you. Lord, we thank you for your glory in her life as you have sustained her and and Ron. Lord, we we lift up these ongoing concerns that we have. We we pray for our shut-ins. We think of Rosalie and Tommy and Mike and Eddie and Jim and Mariana and Letha and ask that you would remind them that you are always present with them. Lord, we are still so separated from them uh, because of this virus. And so remind them that you are close, that you are near, that you are their God and that they are loved by you. We lift up the church around the world, the church uh, that in many places is persecuted and yet is still seeking to proclaim your glory and your honor in the face of a very, very hostile government. We pray for the churches in our community that are seeking to honor and glorify you by preaching your word. And we ask that you would um, fill their pulpits with your spirit, fill their sanctuaries with your grace so that they might be lifted up as well in the ministry of the word. And be with us today, Lord. As we turn toward your scriptures in the book of Proverbs, we do ask that you would give us light and guidance. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be ever pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. We lift these prayers to you today in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Please do turn with me in your Bibles to uh, the book of Proverbs. Today we are in Proverbs chapter 24. We will look at verses 3 through 12 of chapter 24. Um, And and while you're turning there, I did uh, remember one other announcement that I forgot. We are having Bible study tonight. It's at 6 o'clock and we're covering the chapter in the Confession on Assurance of Salvation. So um, uh, forgive me for forgetting that earlier. Um, But we are in... Solomon's words to us and to his son Rehoboam as we have them recorded for us in Proverbs 24 verses 3 through 12. Hear the word of the Lord. By wisdom a house is built and through understanding it is established. Through knowledge its rooms are filled with rare and beautiful treasures. 
A wise man has great power and a man of knowledge increases strength. For waging war, you need guidance and for victory, many advisors. Wisdom is too high for a fool. In the assembly at the gate, he has nothing to say. He who plots evil will be known as a schemer. The schemes of folly are sin and men detest a mocker. If you falter in times of trouble, how small is your strength? Rescue those being led away to death. Hold back those staggering towards slaughter. If you say, but we knew nothing about this, does not he who reigns the heart perceive it or weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who guards your life know it? And will he not repay each person according to what he has done? Let us pray. O great and holy God, help us to delight in your holy and righteous law. Help us to hide these truths and teachings in our hearts so that we may live holy, righteous, and wise lives before you. You have given us the means by which we can walk in a sanctified way, and we are going to open and study those teachings today. Guard us by your spirit and your word as you are conforming us day to day into the image of your Son. And may you be honored as I declare your words, and may you change the lives of your people through this declaration. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In Luke chapter 16, verses 1 through 13, Jesus tells and interprets the parable of the unjust manager or unjust steward. It's a dishonest manager that gets praised by the owner of the estate. The parable opens with the manager and steward who is in charge of the finances of the estate being confronted by the owner of the estate as the owner finds out that the manager has been managing the money improperly. And the owner of the estate does what one does whenever, decides to do what one does when you find out that your money is being managed improperly. He announces that he is going to fire the manager or the steward. Now the steward doesn't know what he's going to do. He's too proud to beg, and he's been working the cushy office job for long enough that he's too weak to do manual labor. So what's he going to do? Well, he figures it out. He's like, well, the owner of the estate that I work for has a lot of rich friends, and they owe him money. I'm going to manipulate the books in such a way that they owe me a place to live, at least temporarily. And so he calls in the uh, debtor that owes olive oil to the uh, owner of the estate. And he says, cut your bill in half. He calls in the man who owes wheat or barley to the owner. And he, he cuts the debt by 20%. And he does this so that he will have a place to go and be taken care of once he loses his job and his likelihood. And the parable ends with the owner of the estate coming in and praising him for his shrewdness, for his cunning. We're a little perplexed by this parable sometime because it just seems odd. Is Jesus telling us that we should live by hook or by crook and by whatever dishonest means we can find our way in the world, we should do this? Absolutely not. The commandment, thou shalt not bear false witness against your neighbor, is still in force. Is he telling us that the the manager was so happy that he kept the steward in the house? Well, we don't know. Doesn't say anything beyond the fact that the owner praised the steward. But Jesus does tell us what this is about as he um, 
as he interprets this parable for his disciples. He says this in Luke 16, 8 and 9. He says, for the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth or worldly treasures to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. What Jesus is saying here is that oftentimes we, the people of God, do not use the treasures that he has given to us, eternal treasures for eternal things. He says to the disciples, he says, the people of this earth, the people who are not my people, are better at providing for themselves on this earth than the people who have a glorious hope of eternity are at providing for themselves for eternity. He's confronting them with the reality that he has given them treasures that are treasures that are to be used to build the kingdom of God for eternal purposes. And we don't use them. We waste them away. Solomon is making a similar point to Rehoboam in today's passage. He is reminding Rehoboam and ultimately us that God will fill through wisdom, will fill the house of Rehoboam with treasures. And he is used to use them for God's glory, for God's purpose, and to grow eternal treasures. And so today we will see that our passage teaches us that God gives us great treasures And he expects us to use them for eternal uses rather than earthly. First, we see a house full of treasures. The passage opens with this line, by wisdom, a house is built. When we think of a house, we think of the place we're going to drive or walk following the service today, where we will eat lunch, where our family sleeps, where we leave to go to work each day. But a house is in the original language, in the Hebrew, means can mean so much more. For Rehoboam, it would likely mean that God would give him wisdom, and with that wisdom, the house or the nation of Israel would be built and established. House in the Old Testament can mean anything from the tent that the nomad dwells in to the house which is built upon a foundation and has walls and a, a stone roof and and all those things to the people within the house, the household, if you will, from the the patriarch of the family all the way down to the youngest child. All of that is part of the house. And that house, that household, that nation, that tribe, that clan, that house is built by wisdom. That is the foundation of any house or household that is built is wisdom or any house or household that we'll see in a moment is built well is wisdom. But what is the underlying foundation of wisdom that we've learned throughout the book of Proverbs is the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning, the starting place, the foundation of wisdom. And we cannot separate the true. We the two we cannot be truly wise unless and until we begin with that submissive reverent, obedient service to God that is marked by the fear of the Lord. Anything else puts us at the center of the universe. And until we stand humbly before God and see that it is his will and power and sovereignty that rules all the events of our lives and all the events of the world, we will see the world wrong. We will live wrongly before God. 
And we won't be able to comprehend the correct ordering of the world due to God's will, which is wisdom. Jesus highlights this for us in Matthew 7, 24 and 27, where he says, listen and do what I say. And the one who listens to and does what I say is like one who builds their house upon a rock. And when the storms of life come and the winds howl and the waters come, that 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 house will stand steady and secure. But one who hears and ignores what I have to say, who does not do it is one who is like one who builds their house upon the sand. And when the winds come and the waters come, that house is destroyed. It is shaky and shivering on its foundation of sand. So wisdom is the foundation of a house and the fear of the Lord is the foundation of that wisdom. And so it is God is the one that builds a house. And God is also the one who furnishes the house because through wisdom or knowledge, as it says there, which which is a synonym throughout the book of Proverbs for wisdom, through knowledge, its rooms are filled with rare and beautiful treasures. And one of those treasures that is given to us is strength. As we see in verse five, a wise man has great power and a man of knowledge increases strength. Let's go back to that word house. We said that it could mean anything from the nomad's tent to a, a house that is built upon a firm foundation with walls and a roof and a door that can be locked. Wisdom not only helps us build the house, but it gives us the strength to protect the house. It's much more difficult to get into a block house than it is to a Coleman tent. Think about it. If you're out camping, somebody wants into your tent, what do they do? They either just unzip the door or they take a knife and cut through the wall. But if you're at home, what do they have to do to get into your tent? This is just an example, by the way. Camping is is extremely safe. (laughs) What do they have to do if they want to get into your home? Well, if you have good, strong walls and windows that lock well and doors that lock well, they've got to work really hard to get in. And so wisdom not only builds the house, but it also strengthens the house and fills the house with strength. And it's more than and and that's one of the treasures that is brought into the house that wisdom builds is the strength, the authority, the resources needed to manage the house. Well, this strength also brings us or this wisdom, excuse me, also brings us guidance and advisors for victory in conflict or in war. Apply to the home. Conflict is small sometimes. Applied to the nation, conflict can be large, but it takes guidance and advisors to navigate our way through the conflict. And that wisdom does not encourage war, but it does recognize that in a sinful, broken world, war will happen. And it can prescribe the means to wage war wisely and God honoringly. And so the overarching theme of these first four verses is that God will use wisdom to fill and to strengthen the house against conflict and against war. And this is something we need in our world today. Just like we need strong doors and secure walls to keep us warm and safe, we need a fortress, a hedge, as as God says about Job, around that house. 
The same accuser that came to Job or came to God about Job is going to come to us to attack us in order to shake our trust in God in our conviction of his truth. He is going to tempt us to sin. He's going to tempt our children to turn their back on what we have taught them. And he is going to seek to drive a wedge between members of a family. And we need the strength, the treasure of wisdom to fight against them. Now, sometimes these wedges, these temptations are huge and easy to fight. Let's say you're having financial trouble. You're driving through Fairly and you drive past the Bank of Monroe. And you say, you know what? I could fix my financial trouble. I just need a handgun and and a mask. And I can fix my finances. That's an easy one to fight off because we see the grandness of that sin. But we need the strength to fight off the subtle attacks, the sneaky attacks of the energy enemy. Sometimes the water that attacks the house and the foundation is not a deluge. But it's a slow trickle over time that wears away at the ground beneath the house. And if the foundation is not strong over time, that foundation can falter and can fall. Most affairs don't begin at the point of an affair. They develop over months and years Most of the time that our children decide to leave the church, it is not an in-the-moment decision. It's something that started with a minor issue years ago that has worked at and gnawed at their heart over time. Wisdom fills our homes, our houses, with the treasures necessary, the strength, the advice, the guidance Necessary to protect against the attacks, large attacks and subtle attacks. So God builds and fills homes through through wisdom. But as we've seen in the book of Proverbs, not everybody that Solomon deals with are wise. Sometimes the wicked abuse the treasures that God gives. And one of the treasures that God gives in his household is confrontation. Not conflict, although God can use that to grow us, but confrontation. Now, I know I said earlier that Proverbs does not teach that war should be pursued, but I'm not talking about war here. Verse 7 says, Wisdom is too high for a fool, and in the assembly at the gate he has nothing to say. The assembly at the gate was a group of wise men who gathered to hear and to judge disagreements within the community. Let's say I have a property agreement, disagreement with my neighbor. We're we're arguing over where the property line falls. My neighbor and I would go to the assembly at the gate and we would present our case to them. They would look at God's law. They would look at the records of the property lines that were there. And they would adjudicate between me and this person that I disagreed with. But in order for that adjudication to happen, I have to make a confrontation. God gave the law to his people, especially the civil law. Well, not especially, all the law. God gave all the law to his people to help them walk in righteousness and in holiness, to grow in their knowledge and love of him and to pursue the holiness that he called them to. Be holy as I am holy, he tells them in Leviticus. 
He gave them the law to do that. But when the law is broken, sometimes we have to confront. But the wicked person, the one who is going to abuse confrontation, has no place, has no say in the assembly of the gate. He, he has no right to either adjudicate or to bring a case. Why? Because he's going to use that confrontation for evil. Verses 8 and 9, He who plots evil will be known as a schemer. The schemes of folly are sin, and men detest a mocker. You know, there are people out there who use the treasure of confrontation to destroy. Paul says in Romans chapter 1, verses 28 through 32, He says these things. He says, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. And then he goes on to define what a depraved mind does and what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents, which seems like an odd place to put that because we think that is such a small sin, but it's not. They are senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. And although they know God's righteous decrees that those who do such things deserve death, They not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. Look at how many of those sins are confrontational sins or sins that are misusing the treasure of confrontation. Strife. Strife is quarreling and argumentation. It's people who confront just to start a fight. Deceit can be confrontation, but done with lies involved. Slandering, gossiping, God-haters, boasting are all ways that we use confrontation to show our pride, our wickedness, and our commitment to our own way of life and our own glory rather than God's. And Solomon calls this out. He calls it exactly what it is. In verse 9, he says, the schemes of folly are sin. Those people that use confrontation for wicked ends, Solomon calls that sin, calls them sinners. When you and I engage in the abuses of God's goodness, he judges, judges it as sin, and we will be unable to say anything in our defense when we gather before God. Unless unless it is an appeal to the righteousness of Jesus as our only hope, as a righteousness that covers us, as a righteousness that is ours because he has taken our punishment. See, we can use and we can abuse and misuse the treasure of confrontation and God will judge us for that. But while the wicked abuse the treasure of confrontation, the wise use it to sanctify the community. We pick up in verse 10, and this is such a sweet and yet at the same time convicting verse. If you falter in times of trouble, how small is your strength? 
Brothers and sisters, we are going to falter in times of intense distress and trouble. And those times of faltering in the midst of intense distress are reminders of how feeble and weak we are. Our our reading in Hebrews 12 earlier talks about the witnesses that we have, those, those men in Hebrews 11 that were in there because of their faith and because of who they had faith in. And in light of all those witnesses that are, that, are, that are there testifying to us of God's power, we are to be strong in our faith in the one who has saved us. And yet we stumble and fall and prove our weakness time and time again. And the temptation when we show our weakness is to wallow in it. And the longer we wallow in our weakness, rather than than moving forward in repentance, rather than coming to God and saying, I faltered and I distrusted your strength. Forgive me and strengthen me to move on. As long as we the longer we delay that, the more we backslide into our feebleness and into our sin. But God doesn't leave us there just as though just as he gives us advisors and guidance in the midst of conflict. He calls us to confront. To save from death, verse 11, he says to Rehoboam, rescue those being led away to death, hold back those staggering towards slaughter. We are called to use confrontation with our brothers and sisters in a godly way that brings life to them. You know, sometimes it's good to confront a brother or sister in Christ because they are walking a path that will ultimately lead to death and they need to be brought back into the right path. And we'll get back to that in just a few minutes here, but it's important that Solomon reminds Rehoboam of something, and of course us. It says, if you say, but we knew nothing about this, Does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? What's our temptation? Whenever we see somebody that we know God is calling us to confront. Our temptation is kind of to to kind of turn our eyes away and say, you know what? I didn't see it. I don't know what's going on. Don't ask me to do something I don't know about. I don't want to. God knows our hearts. He knows what we saw. He knows where he placed us. And he's not going to take that as an excuse. If we are called to be confrontational in a way that sanctifies and brings life, God expects us to do it. Solomon calls Rehoboam to use this treasure of confrontation to bring the strength that God builds into the house, to bring the sanctification that God wants into the nation of Israel, and he calls us to do it in our homes and in our churches. And this is going to be difficult because the world is going to tell you that that equals hate. That that equals bigotry. That that equals a lack of love for your fellow human beings. But is it loving to leave somebody on the road to death? Is it loving to let my children play in the middle of 219 when they're toddlers? 
No, it's not. I know that's an extreme example. Sometimes it takes extreme examples to get the point through. Sometimes God calls us to confront our brothers and sisters in Christ with the sin that they are living, with the sin that they have bowed under when they were feeble and weak because God uses us to strengthen each other. We all love the 90 and the 9. That song that we love that parable of Jesus saying, you know, the kingdom of God is like a shepherd who had a hundred sheep. And when one of them went astray, he did the radical scandalous thing of leaving the 90 and the nine to go find the one. And you know what the adjoining passage is? If you have an offense against your brother, go to him and resolve it. If that doesn't resolve it, Take somebody else with you. If that doesn't resolve it, take them to the leadership of the church. And if that doesn't resolve it, excommunicate them. Church discipline, confrontation is not hatred. In the house of God, it is love. It is one of the ways that God uses to bring back the one lost sheep. God has gathered a people to himself. He has justified them by the life of his son. He is sanctifying them through the power of the Holy Spirit. And he is using us as the household of God to do that so that we as the church may be presented on that last day as a holy, sanctified bride. And some days we act like we'd rather show up in a ripped torn and dirty wedding dress than a holy and sanctified bride. God builds the house. God fills it with treasure. And he calls us to use that treasure for eternal reward. At best, we misapply confrontation to build our own earthly treasures rather than using it to build the heavenly treasure of a sanctified household of God. And at worst, we ignore confrontation because we just don't want anyone to feel bad. It's important for us to see the context of this confrontation is it it is within the household. What we confront people with outside the household is the gospel. Sometimes that does mean pointing out the fact that we are sinners, do judgment from God. But if people don't want that message, if they reject it, that's the message we continue to give them. But when we are within the household of God, when we have taken membership vows and said, I vow before God and these people to live in a way that magnifies and glorifies my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You vow that you will accept the treasure of confrontation and that you will use it for God's glory and for God's honor. And once again, this is not easy. This is hard. But God gives us the strength to do it, to move forward in it, and to live a life using his treasures as he is ordained. Let us pray. Our God and Father above, remind us that holiness matters to you. 
Remind us that you have given the treasures to help lead each other to holiness. Remind us that you have given given us the strength to use those treasures in a way that honors and glorifies you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please take uh, the hymn book, the maroon book before you and turn once again, turn in it once again, but turn it in it to hymn number 348. Sometimes English, even though it's my first language, is not easy. Let us turn to hymn number 348 and lift our voices in praising God for the faith that he has given to us. So let us stand and sing Faith of Our Fathers, hymn 348. leave this place today with the realization that God will not leave us in our sin. He will confront us with our sin and at times call us to be his instrument of confrontation in the lives of our brothers and sisters. As we consider this reality, as we consider the fear that goes along with it, know that God blesses us, he treats us with grace, and he gives us peace as we walk this path. And in light of that, take this blessing upon you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his countenance upon you and give you peace. And as we walk this hard road, knowing that there is a future hope before us, we cry out to God, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen.